Podcasting with Kerry Jones. This week's episode goes international to Nevada, USA. My guest has fished worldwide for many species and filmed his adventures for his TV show, Wild Fish in Wild Places. He is in the fortunate position to have Pyramid Lake as his local water, which has a unique strain of cutthroat trout up to 20 pounds, where double-figure fish are commonplace and are caught on the fly. He also goes on and tells us of catching magnificent huge rainbows on his visits to Jurassic Lake in Argentina. Welcome to my chat with Dennis Ispister. Hi Dennis, it's great to chat again. The last time we were together we were exchanging stories over a few pints of Guinness in the west of Ireland. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been a while. We, um, yeah, we, we connected because of the Ferox trout deal in Ireland and we got to have some, have a couple Guinness and talk fishing like, like all good friendships should start. Yeah, absolutely. You were with Alan Broderick as well, weren't you? I think. Yeah, Alan's there. Alan Broderick was was there. The he's the the Irishman that was with me for a few years. Did you have Ferox on that trip? Because I think I met you on the last day or the day before you were heading back. Yeah, we caught we we hooked a Ferox and got it to the boat and lost it like right at the boat but we got to see it on the camera getting lost so we Ah. had a little bit of success but not a lot well if you come over next year we'll see if you can get him and hopefully be bigger still then yeah exactly and who'd have thought it that the next time we were going to chat we'd both be in lockdown (laughs) yeah yeah in lockdown both of us our fishing businesses are going you know different directions because of it and <laughs> here we are recording I, podcasts and talking fishing right i know well, it's the next best thing to fishing is talking about it i think anyway <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right we've just gone into a, a second bout of lockdown it was all coming good and then you know things were the restrictions were easing off and then we were starting fishing and then all of a sudden the last two weeks now the restrictions have come again so how was it with you are you able to go Anywhere near you fishing now? Yeah, so stuff hit pretty hard here. We were in some pretty serious lockdowns, but where I live in Nevada, um, I live in a small town, and my office, there's only three of us in the office, and we stay apart for the most part, and we have a lot of open country around us, a lot of open you know, most of the state of Nevada is owned by the Bureau of Land Management, which is basically public. Um, and there's lots of fishing, lots of camping, you know, four-wheeling, you know, that kind of stuff that yeah. is available to the general public. And so what we saw happen over here in the fishing and outdoor industry is that families started taking their kids fishing and camping rather than doing sports. You know, this the, the way the sports world is over here anymore it's different than when I was a kid. Yeah. If you have a kid that plays baseball, well, he plays baseball all year and he does travel ball and winter ball. And they, they, you know, they do these tournament teams and it's just a nonstop deal. And so these kids don't, 
these kids don't get to hunt and fish like we used to. If they're playing sports, they got us play that sport almost all year yeah. and, and travel. And so this year they couldn't do it. So what happened? Everybody bought trailers and side-by-sides and, and took their kids fishing, which we, we had the biggest surge in new fishing license sales in, in recent history. So there may be a twist yeah. from all this, no? To get people to start yeah. fishing again. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, next year when it, you know, when this stuff, you know, finally the dust settles, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, those kids and those families have taken a step back and thought, you know, maybe we should fish more. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. I suppose it's the best form of social distancing you can have as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get out in the, in the open air. That's what we try to do. My wife and I, you know, we just get out and go camp and, fish and you know yeah. you're you're no you know you're safe you don't have to be around anybody except your yourselves and so you're good to go that's how you started as a, as a boy was it when you were um in nevada and but that's where you're yeah. originally from as well isn't it that's where you've always lived yeah i, I live in nevada born and raised um, i've been here for a long time my whole life obviously so yeah, Nevada was where I started this crazy journey. Um, my, you know, I started with my, you know, my grandparents taking me fishing when I was just a little tiny kid, and they would haul me out in the desert. You know, and we'd go yeah. find these reservoirs and fish for trout. You know, it just turned into something a lot more serious than that. Before setting up Wild Fish Wild Places, you say you were in the construction business, is that right? Uh, yeah, I started in construction when I was 16. I worked for 10 years, got my own contractor's license, and, and life was good. You know, the business was good. We were booming here, building lots and lots of houses, and, you know, things were going well. And we had the big, you know, world economy crash in 2008. And it just, the business wasn't fun anymore. You know, I kept doing it for a little while. It just wasn't fun, but it kind of led me to an opportunity to start a TV show. And I, I'd done some work in the hunting world, and I thought that there was a, a, an opportunity to get into, to build a fishing show that was more National Geographic Discovery Channel type, uh, but for our type of clientele, a little mix. So could have some crazy adventure, travel, uh, different species of fish, you know, not your average hey, you know, we're going to go catch a largemouth in the backyard or walleye yeah. over and over and over again. You know, there's something different. <clears throat> lots of fly fishing, lots of, you know, conventional fishing and and big adventure stuff. And so I decided I want to try it. And in the, in the outdoor business here, um, you know, to get on air, you can pay. You can pay. It's expensive, but you can get it done and get going. You can't game you can't gather sponsorship dollars from yeah. companies without this without having airtime and you can't have airtime without sponsorship dollars you know there's you just got to kind of invest so i borrowed a bunch of money and <clears throat> thought you know thought i could get get it going so that's what i did i borrowed money and and went all in and here we are 12 years later so that was in roughly 2007. So you packed in your work and your construction work and you set up doing something what you love. Yep, exactly. And 
you know, I, I sold everything that I owned. I moved out of the, the big fancy house that I had and moved into something that was paid for that, you know, something that I could deal with, something I could yeah. manage. So I had to sacrifice, you know, I sold my fancy trucks. I sold, you know, we got rid of everything. I drove a little car that was paid for around, lived in an old crappy house that was paid for and, yeah. Yeah, you know, just worked through it. It's like a fisherman's dream. Everyone wants to do something like that, but no one's got the balls normally to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's what people, you know, people ask me all the time. Oh, I want, how do I get into this industry? How do I get do do with the, what you do? And I, the first answer is, well, you have to basically be able to survive on nothing for about five or six years. Yeah, and you know that's where everybody decides they don't. You know, that money's more important than. You know, I got a family, you know, I got this, I got that. It's like, well, yeah, that's what you got to do. So, yeah, something I'm keen to get onto and something which comes up when doing these podcasts of mine, when asking, is there any venues on the bucket list? The top two are Jurassic Lake in Argentina, but the other one is right on your doorstep, Pyramid Lake. Yeah. And that's interesting that, you know, it really has become, and you know, I, I had a lot to do with the promotions of pyramid lake you know getting that thing put on the map and you know not not solely of course there's lots of people that is that have helped but um you know when this thing start first started kicking off about you know 10 years ago or so we were really on the on the forefront of, of promoting pyramid lake and so it's really interesting to hear that people from all over the world now i mean it's almost more of a destination than patagonia argentina yeah it's crazy and it's cutthroat trout and, in there, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a, an interesting species, and it's an interesting story of how this thing came together. So when I was a kid, they – I'll try to condense this as much as possible, but what happened was when they first – white man first discovered the lake, the Indian tribes that were living on it, um, you know, they basically started mining out west, and they commercially fished the lake to extinction to provide food for the miners. They put dams on the river to, to divert water and make power, and it basically killed that strain of fish off. So when I was a kid, they had a fish in there called a Summit Lake strain of Lahontan cutthroat trout, and that's what lives in there. Lahontan cutthroat trout is what is native to that lake. But the Summit strain was not necessarily the, the native one that was there to start with, but it, it was okay. And it was an okay fishery. You know, they never really got that big. If you caught an eight-pounder, it was a really big deal. Um, they were, loved the, the cold water. The colder, the better. Um, they were they fought like a dirty dish towel. Um, it just was an okay fishery. Well, about 10, 12 years ago, they discovered these Pilot Peak strain of fish out in this little creek. And what happened, you know, they're, they're native to certain tributaries, um, you know, around the area. So they... They ran the genetics with an old fish mount from the university and realized that they were just about identical. So they nice. figured that that was they were descended. So they started breeding, you know, spawning this type of fish called the Pilot Peak strain. And all of a sudden, we've got these trout that are growing big and fast. And if anybody knows anything about the trout, you know, trout growth and um, these these fish are growing on average a half an inch a month, which wow. is just unbelievable for any trout species. 
and they don't mind the warm water. They fight like crazy. They fight like a steelhead. Um, I mean, they just are have become uh, just it, this fishery has just become this amazing place. Fly fishing and conventional. Um, it's the only place in the world where you see people on ladders and these these chairs that are built sitting up and standing up on these ladders to fly fish. So it's similar to when they, they fly fish the flats for the bonefish, so you get the heights to see them, is it? These ladders, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, kind of. So and at Pyramid Lake, there's a couple, there's two drop-offs. There's like a primary drop-off and like the secondary drop-off. And the very first one, the primary drop-off, uh, it's usually somewhere around that five to six feet deep. Well, you can't, you don't want to stand in that cold water up to your nipples all day and you can't cast. And so what guys originally started doing when I was a kid, they had a milk crate. They put a milk crate out there. Oh, I to get see a little bit what of you mean. I thought you meant you'd have and a ladder on a boat. You actually take a ladder out into the lake. Yeah, out into the lake. Yeah. And then you stand along the beach and there's, you stand, you're basically on the edge of this first drop off ah. and it, it goes out into the deep and those fish, when they start to feed or it gets windy or whatever, they'll move in to that first drop, to that first ledge. And so then they started using like six-foot construction ladders. Well, then guys got really creative, <laughs> and they started building these aluminum folding ladders with a, a you know a place to stand and a nice chair, like a swivel chair. And, oh, smart. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty fun way to fish, but it gets you out of the water. So you don't have to freeze, you know, so you're in six feet of water, but you're standing up and you can cast and you can see too, kind of like the saltwater deal. Yeah. Um, so it's a really interesting way to fish. And it would actually like at Jurassic Lake, there we'll touch on that a little bit. If a guy had that down at Jurassic Lake, it would actually be a really beneficial thing as well. It's because of the temperature mainly, then the reason is because it's so cold, is it? Yeah, temperature, and it's kind of the same deal. Like, there's some ledges that you fish in some bays where, you know, you got to wade out to your belly button or so, and, and then right. it just drops off. So if you can stand on a ladder. So that's kind of the, the fly fishing end of it. Um, and so, then, of course, we'll, we'll fly fish out of my boat, too, a little bit. Um, you know, when we're we'll, – we troll and cast and jig and do a lot of stuff like that, but – um, so what are know, the average we'll, sides of these cutthroats then? You know, um, if you come here, I tell everybody to come for at least three days because these fish don't, the big fish don't eat every day. It's, you can do one thing one day and have a bunch of big fish, exact same thing the next day and just catch small fish. So um, I would say the average, the average fish is that five to six pounds. I mean, if you nice. come here and fish, you're gonna catch a you're gonna catch a, a five, six, seven pound trout, like a hundred percent you're gonna catch a trout that size. Yeah. Um in May and June when we're fishing hard, we take a picture of the first ten pounder that somebody catches with me, and then that's it, because you literally catch so many fish that are ten pounds, you don't want any more pictures. You've got a picture of a big town pounder, but you'll you know, my I took my photographer that travels with us for the show. I took him and his kids out, and his daughter's first fish was 12 pounds, and his son's first fish was 14 pounds. <laughs> you know, just Jeez. insane. It's just such a crazy fish. So is that the best time then, May, June? On It's my favorite time to fish is May and June. It's post-spawn, and 
they are just fired up eating everything in sight and you can have you know 50 to uh, 250 fish days depending on what how hard you want to fish wow. i mean just hundreds of fish and big like big big fish and you can catch them trolling um you can catch them with tubes you know jigging which is my one of my favorite ways to catch them well i we actually did this deal last year where we put flashers in the prop wash when we're trolling so we'll put a whole stringer like your saltwater fishing like stringer of flashers about just within sight in the prop wash right behind your boat and you just stand in the back of the boat and those fish will come to those flashes and you throw jigs and stuff to them when you see them in the butt and the prop. I mean, it's just, it's just, you don't even believe it until you see it. It's so just it's not insane. Really, so it's not really deep then. They, they're more or less on the surface, are they? Yeah. And, and you know, that time of year, you know, anywhere, anywhere from the surface to 30 feet would be the most, you know, getting yeah. into, into June towards the middle end of June. But most of the time they're right around that 20 feet is about the deepest that, that time of year. If you go there right now, if they open it, it opens in October. Usually um, if you go there, a lot of times they're deeper than that because you're coming off the summer. Um, they'll be laying in like 60 to 80 feet of water. All right. um, and then, but they'll move up in the mornings and, and crush bait for a few hours shallow and then move back deep to digest. What about the end of the year, sort of September time? Um, they... It's not open. They don't open it until they oh. don't open it until October now. So it's closed from July, August, September. So it's and it's run. Is it? I, I remember asking you this before about the license. There is you're going to get a tribal pass or something. Is it? Yeah. So it's it's run by the Paiute tribe. Uh, the Paiute Indian uh, tribe owns that lake. And they control what happens out there. So, yeah, you don't need a Nevada state fishing license. You just need a tribal pass. And it used to be a really good, you know, really cheap proposition for, you know, it was it was very reasonable, 12 bucks a day um, or you wow. know, 100 bucks for the year or something like that. Uh, but they're, they're raising prices this year and doing some different stuff. So we'll see what, what ends up there. I suppose they realize the more popular it gets, they're going to make more money probably from it. Yeah, same deal. And it's you know it's a world class fishery. They should charge more than twelve dollars a day to fish it, in yeah. my opinion. But <laughs> I would have thought so. So yeah. regarding the tackle, if somebody was coming out there to fish, would it be your normal like ten foot eight weight rod? That is perfect. So there's two ways to fish, and I would bring if somebody was coming to travel here, um, you know, I would bring three rods, uh, eight weights. I use eight weights for everything, you know, you can get away with a little lighter, you know, some guys like their seven weights and stuff, but a 10 foot eight weight or just a standard nine foot eight weight or is what you want to bring for the most part. So you can indicator fish. Sometimes it works good. Right. Um, and it, so that's perfect for indicator fishing and they, they use a lot of balance leeches um, and then coronamids like March. Oh. They start switching to this coronamid bite in March that is really fun. Um, and they have sp specific coronamids that they tie out here. that are really big. They? Um, you know, like they call them the, you know, there's certain pattern, just like everywhere you go, there's certain patterns for those lakes that work best, but there's like, uh, you know, like a wine colored white headed, they call it the albino wino. Um, you know, that's kind of a standard coronamid pattern out here. Nice. Uh, balance leeches, um, that kind of stuff, black, they call them the midnight cowboy, balance leeches, olive. Um, and then the one thing that's really 
famous out here is stripping a beetle, what's called a, a foam beetle or a popcorn beetle. Uh, it's the only place that I've ever seen this type of pattern. It's a foam beetle on the back, and it's got a little flat end of the, uh, on the front of it. And it's chartreuse with a white tail is usually the standard. And they throw them on a, on a fast-sinking line with a shooting head. All and right. The, the trick, the trick is you got to use a, a like a monofilament leader so it floats up and only about three feet of leader. So that's one of the mistakes a lot of guys make because these fish, they're on the bottom. You know, they're just they're yeah. cruising with their bellies on the bottom looking for food. And so if you use a nine or ten foot leader, it floats up. You know, it doesn't get the right um, uh, the right distance. So you use about a three foot leader and this this beetle and you just get it right on the bottom and you strip boom 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 three times pause three pumps pause and every you know that when you pause is when they eat that that beetle and that's a really productive and fun way to fish for these fish out here too do they take line them when they hooked or do they you know stick yeah. it to the back end yeah i uh i caught a 16 or an 18 pounder filming last november wow um and it took me to my backing three times. I mean, it had me <laughs> to my backing, and I got him in. He had me to my backing, had him back in. So yeah, they fight. They fight good. They're 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 no joke. So these but, these fish, when you hook these fish, are you still up on top of the ladder, or do you come off as soon as you hook them? I I stay on the ladder. Um, a lot of times I've seen guys, especially on big fish, they do something that tweaks their line or changes the angle, and they're trying to get off their ladder. So right. it all depends. I stayed on my ladder and I let my buddy grab a net. The way we fish it is, you know, you walk down to the beach from your truck um, and you bring your stuff, your gear down to the beach and you got your separate rods kind of laying there, your bag, and, and then a net or two behind your group of fishermen. And you want to, you know, obviously we got to, we actually make, the Adamsville company actually makes nets that sell really well out there. We have a, a net that floats with a extending handle with a big basket, a deep, deep basket for these big fish right. and, uh, you know, a measurement on the handle. But anyway, the, the, what happens is whoever hooks a fish, the other guys go get the net and help him out and let him stay on the ladder and fight it. But I, you can do both. I mean, when we're filming and stuff, sometimes I, I get off the ladder and you like to talk and show it off and stuff too. So Yeah, yeah. Sounds good fun. It's something I'd yeah, like to it's, do. It's great. Maybe next you year, should. see what the restrictions are like next year. That'll be something up on my yeah. top of my bucket list, I think. Yeah, you need to come out for sure. Um, and that's the thing. Once they open it up, this deal, it's an, it's no problem. I yeah. mean, you get fly into Reno, you know, get a car, come out. I'll have the accommodations all set up, and we'll, you know, we'll fish for three or four days. And, Sounds good to me. And uh, the the beautiful thing with the boat is we can go fly fish some areas that nobody else fishes with flies you know yeah so we can it'd be a lot of fun we could definitely explore and and that this will kind of lead us into the jurassic lake conversation as well but yeah with these cutthroat you know they're like big bulldogs you know they're fast but they don't jump you know they they bulldog you they take line you know they pull line they just kiss, stay down and they fight 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 the which is different than a rainbow you know all of us know yeah. how rainbows fight and those giant ones down at Jurassic, um, you know, they they jump. They'll jump. They'll come out of the air. And they're like rockets. You know, they're super fast, big jumps, that kind of stuff. That's incredible seeing a double-figure trout leap. I've only seen it a few times. Like, 
like the ferox I've had over in Ireland, most of them, they will just stay deep or they, they, they rarely come up on the surface. But occasionally you'll get one or two asleep. And then when you see that, your knees start shaking, you know. It is quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty insane to see, you know, an 18-pound rainbow trout or a 20-pound rainbow trout get airborne. You went over there to do some filming then to, to Jurassic Lake. Have you been there a few times? Yeah, it, how many yeah times? I've been there three times. Have you? Yeah, three times I've been down to Jurassic, and it was it's an amazing place. And one of the things um, about traveling to South America uh, in general is – a lot of the times the operators down there are a lot different uh, in the way of thinking than like I would be. It's very lax, um, you know, siesta times and unorganized mostly. But with with this program, uh, the Jurassic Lake, Estancia Laguna Verde is who we go with. And the guys are unbelievable operators. It is dialed in just perfect i mean the the staff is amazing the food is amazing there is nothing there's no logistical details that that they leave out um they really work hard they've got great people and just a great operation and so i think that's what's that and the fishing of course of what has brought me back year after year and yeah um, it's tough to film interesting shows at the same place over and over again but there the fishing is so unique and, you know, different years bring different, you know, you know, I guess challenges to overcome and stuff like that. So it's, it's just, is it it's the just same, an unbelievable place. Yeah. Is it the same um, time of the year, which are best like May and June again, down in Jurassic? My, my favorite time to go down there. So I've been down there and uh, during their springtime. Um, and then I've been down there the other two times during their fall period, which is our spring uh, up here, of course. So uh, April, like that, you know, March, April time period in the fall. All right. And I seem to like that fall period a little bit better. Um, I don't know why. Uh, the, the the first year we went there, we went in the spring, and the weather seemed to be really crazy, uh, a lot more so than the other times that I was there. Yeah. So. Um, but it, it, it's hit and miss, you know, the, it, it you really can get bad weather or good weather. I think I saw on one of the, um, one of the videos you got on YouTube, you had the lodge was right beside the lake and it was a practice lake or something, wasn't it? You called it. Yeah. The warm up pond. We warm -up called it. Pond, yeah. yeah. So, and there were like six pound rainbows in there. Yeah. And browns and brook trout. And so that's what Jeez. else is great about Estancia Laguna Verde is that they have a bunch of other places like that to fish. So say you get really nasty weather one day, you don't want to go to the big lake. You can go, I mean, down to, down below the lodge. It's a huge body of water. I mean, but it's protected. And anywhere in the United States that have three boat launches on the damn thing, it's that big, And but nobody fishes it. And these fish primarily are eating scud patterns. Uh, scuds, you know, under the rocks, there's a huge scud pattern, a scud population which are freshwater shrimp all that's right. why these fish all get so big so fast and so they're kind of all along the edge of the rocks and i mean you can just have a ball um drew and i we had little boats we took little inflatable boats down there the last couple of years and one day we just took the boats and fished along all the rock structures that nobody gets to 
and we just had a ball. I mean, we probably caught 40, 50 rainbows and browns a piece on, wow. you know, on little bounce, like all of bounce leeches up against the rocks. And it's just anywhere from, you know, they're anywhere from three to, you know, they got them up to like 10 pounds in that, in that lake there. And there's a handful of other lakes that they fish that are the same. And my wife, we took her to another one called Ocho. And like her first three fish were like, uh, eight pounds, nine pounds, and twelve pounds, or something wow. like that. I mean, it's just insane. That's a great plus point. Very often, you can plan, you can wait all year to go for a certain trip, and then when you get there, the conditions are wrong, and you can't fish, and it's like a disappointment. At least with this, if the conditions are bad, you can still get super fishing. Yep, exactly, and catch great fish. You know, and you know, my wife, my wife's good. She's a great fisherman, but. You know, fly fishing when it's blowing 60 miles an hour, you know, it's a challenge. You got to learn to fish in that stuff. And they have, um, you know, they have certain places that they can fish in different winds of that magnitude. But if you don't want to deal with it, there's four other lakes right next to like close within 20 minute drive of the lodge that have lots of beautiful big rainbows in it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, as yeah, regards your the television, filming the program we've got this wild fish wild places for listeners here in the uk where can they actually see it it's on amazon prime is it yeah we uh we just we got three seasons on amazon prime right now which is uh season six uh we had a big season then uh you know vampire fish in columbia uh peacock bass uh, you know yukon territories pike lake trout grayling um, bull trout, you know, Alaska, lake trout in Saskatchewan. We had, we had a great, a great season. And there's some uh, pyramid stuff on there too. And we've got season seven and then we just uploaded season eight. And so, yeah, if somebody wants to go check us out, definitely Amazon prime is probably the best for the UK and YouTube. You know, we have a wild fish, yeah, wild yeah. places, yeah. YouTube channel too. So it's doing well. So. So when you started off, was it a slow start? Was it what you expected, yeah. or was it instantly, wow, this has taken off good? No, it was so hard, so hard to get started. Um, you know, we're coming off this, we're in the middle of this big economic crash, and we would go into people's booths, you know, at ICAST to try to talk to them about partnerships and, and people that I know, and it was so such a kick to the to the nuts to be honest with you you know we literally had people tell us to get the f out of their booth like get like yeah one guy told us like i've just had to have 10 conversations with people that i am friends with that we've been supporting for 10 years for television and i've had to tell them we can't pay them this year and you're in here in our booth asking us for money to support a first year television show you know get the f out of here Get, I can't, you know, <laughs> I mean, the first five years was, it was learning, honestly. Um, it was 99% rejection. Yeah. And that 1% you would have to hold on to, and we would get just enough sponsorship to pay the bills and, and nothing else, and maybe not even that, and we would That's get brilliant. through it. And it was so difficult, um, you know, getting calls back and learning. And and at that time of, of our lives too, if you remember, like that's when uh, you know Facebook was just blowing up, and people were trying to figure that whole deal out. They could advertise for free, and 
you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so we were fighting that battle. Um, and it was just, you know, trying to learn. I thought I could sell, you know, I thought I was a good salesman because I could sell houses and it just wasn't the case. I mean, selling a, selling a fishing show, a TV show is, it was just so difficult. So I just had to learn, you know, I had to learn who the people were that I need to talk to, um, and, and figure out how to make this thing happen. And, you know, we just get a little success, a little success, you know, month after month, you know, year after year and, and finally built it, you know, so it's the you know, sponsorship. Six, seven, eight years later. So the sponsorship then came and, uh, if that's where you make your income, I suppose, through sponsorship, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So we, at this point in the game, I, you know, I have a television show, but we also have, you know, the podcast and the YouTube channel and I run the marketing. I run the social media marketing for a handful of big name outdoor companies, hunting and fishing, you know, my team, you know, we've, we've kind of built this marketing, this marketing house, I guess, if you will, to where we can cater to different things. It's not just a television show. We do a lot of different things. We've, we wear a lot of different hats. We're content. We generate content, you know, custom content, general content, stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've built this thing up over, you know, over the years into something a little bit different and a little bit bigger than what I had kind of imagined, you know, 12 years ago. So you've got now a team together then, have you? You've got obviously a camera person and um, sound and do you do the editing yourself or do you have someone else to do the editing as well? The way we do it, I have a, a, I teamed up with a company called Chimera Collective and the collective part of that name is, is basically a bunch of really talented people that don't necessarily own or work for the business directly. You know, they have employees or, you know, of course, but so, yeah, so they have, what we do is, is with Chimera Collective, we have a group of people that can film and all those guys love the adventure and love fishing luckily. And so we'll go on a shoot and, you know, we'll go do a week in Alaska or whatever the case may be. And we'll have a photographer we have a professional photographer and a video guy and sometimes two video guys and we all travel. What we do is when we get back, I get a drive of footage and they take a drive of footage. They're the talented ones that build the high end stuff, the the television shows and the high end commercials that we put together and stuff. Right. And then I take the I learn to edit too. And so I'll take that footage and I'll build short video content for my sponsors that is really important now for social media. So Short content stuff, I'll be supplying to my sponsors all year long, uh, stuff for my own YouTube channel and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of moving parts. In fact, I'm heading up to Reno now to the to the studio to shoot interviews and do different things, you know, to get ready because we're delivering to the network. So a lot of moving parts for sure. And there's a lot of time involved with fishing, isn't it? I mean, like you could go pleasure fishing yourself, and you might have some great sport, but when it comes to filming, the pressure's on you, and you can go for a day, two days, three days, and it's just not coming together. And then you got to—it's it's the pressure's on, then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what most people don't understand. Um, you know, with with when you make this into a business, is that you know you're essentially you've got sponsors paying you tens of thousands of dollars to get a product done, and you put all this money and time and effort into the you know, this one trip. And like you mentioned about Jurassic Lake on big trips, it's, uh, you know, when you go to these places, 
you never have perfect weather. You the fish aren't always biting. You know, you might get you might only get one day out of a week where you really tear it up and it looks great. Yeah, and you gotta be ready to take advantage of any of that stuff. But it the pressure is on, and that just you know over the years we've kind of learned that we can make television. You know, we're making television shows for anglers that understand for the most part. And we always tell everybody, you know, hey, we didn't catch any fish today. Or, hey, we caught one fish today. And and we, we're honest with our viewers. And I, we've got a lot of good feedback, a lot of good, you know, feedback from people that really like that aspect of the show. We don't go everywhere and catch fish all the time. No. That's a lie. And yeah. everybody knows that if anybody that spent time hunting and fishing knows that you don't just show up and you know, no matter who you are, you don't no. have a secret bait or a secret place. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've showed up to the film and, you know, just got our butts kicked, which is part of the deal, right? So yeah. there's been yeah, times I I've mean, fished, especially if I'm after the Ferox on Corrib, there's times I've been 14 days, not a fish. People exactly. always see then, oh, he's had another big fish, another big fish, but he doesn't think of the the weeks where you have nothing and you're talking yourself and you're, you're talking to the rods in the boats because you, you're losing your head. But, uh, but when, it, yeah. when it comes together, it's nothing like it. It's brilliant. Exactly. And I've had a, a handful of fish like that here. So I've got a fish called, we've got a fish called the wiper here. It's a sterile hybrid fish. It's a cross between a striped bass and a white bass and they get big fast, but they're really hard to catch. And, you know, last year I was catching them. We were catching big wipers. You know, I spent literally five, six days chasing them with nothing and finally figured out the deal. Yeah. And, you know, people just think you go out there and just catch those fish. And same thing with the tiger muskie. You know, I still have yet to land a tiger muskie, but I've got 150 hours chasing tiger muskie. With, and I haven't landed one yet, you know. Oh, you haven't landed one yet? I broke one off a couple months ago. I had a big one on and broke it. Still haven't got my tiger muskie, but I will. So what is your most memorable catch you can see, apart from Jessica? <laughs> Good call. <laughs> oh, my me most memorable catch. Yeah. You know, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's a tough one. I would say I'm probably going to go with two. two I'm going to give you two answers. One of my most memorable catches was – the the vampire fish in La Macarena, Colombia. Uh, we we caught a lot of them, and they were big, and they're just such an exotic species of fish. Vampire, giant teeth. If you haven't seen it, look it up. They the teeth come from the bottom, they go all the way up through the nasal cavity, and wow. and that that was a very memorable trip for me for a lot of uh, in a lot of ways, just because it was so remote, and the fish are just so unique and crazy, and you show pictures of them, people just lose their mind you know and yeah that was that was one for sure but the wiper that i was talking about was honestly one of my most memorable fish because we worked so hard and literally this place where i caught it there's been a, a total of three people over the last 25 years to catch a wiper of that size you know, total, like they're just, you just don't catch them. They, people don't catch those fish. And I had to work so many days and we worked so hard to catch that fish. I think that was probably one of my most memorable. How big was that one? It was 18 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And it was on top water. It was on a giant 
top water, walk the dog, like custom handmade bait. I, I can't visualize it. I'll have to have a look online to have a look. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. Yeah. It's pretty pretty crazy. I'll actually send you one right now while we're talking. <laughs> it's, uh, so they look like the wiper is, uh, like it says, a cross between a striped bass and a white bass. So they have, they get really big and fat and thick. And they they have a, a a smaller mouth than a big striped bass. What I'll do as well, I'll put the details now for the listeners to look on your website on the World Fish Wild Places and all the details so they can link to your podcast as well and the information on the Amazon Prime so they can all have a look at these then. If anybody's looking for the, my podcast, and that's kind of you know what I do on Mike's podcast is we do behind the scenes stories a lot of the times. So right. we got some wild stuff about, uh, you know, getting held captive in Uruguay and, you know, getting attacked or charged by a bear in Alaska and spraying bear spray, all kinds of just kind of funny stories. Uh, that's under the wild fish, wild places behind the scenes and wild fish, wild places, YouTube and, and the TV show and, what about, and Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, so. I noticed as well. Um, when I looked online on your podcast, your most recent one, did you strap a boat to a an air, a seaplane <laughs> or something? Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we used to. I'll make this story quick, but we used to go film at a place called In Canoe Lodge in the Yukon Territories, and it is the most beautiful lodge you've ever seen. One of the most remote places I've ever been. There's nothing around. He flew all the pieces of this lodge in with his beaver float plane. Yeah. And and it's just beautiful. And they have so much fishing within a hundred square miles of their lodge, they don't know what's in a lot of it. And they haven't had time because when they're there, they're guiding. So they have to take people to places that they know produce. Yeah. And they can't spend time looking. So what we would do is we would film a show and then Drew and I would stay for an extra week and they would fly us to these other lakes and rivers just to experiment. It might be a dud or it might be great. And so we would strap a boat to the side of a float plane <laughs> and fly it into the place that we wanted to fish. <laughs> and would you camp there then? Yeah. So then we'd camp, you know, we'd camp out in the wilderness for, you know, three days or so at a time until we figured we had enough knowledge of, um, you know, of this, the fishery, we got GPS coordinates. So we know that we could send, we caught some huge pike, uh, in this one particular spot on where that picture was taken, uh, we found some weed beds that nobody, you know, nobody fishes it. They're just the middle of nowhere. And we found some weed beds that just had huge pike, especially for that area. And we would GPS coordinate, you know, get the GPS coordinates and give it to the lodge. Yeah. And when they had clients in the next year, they would fly out and take them to that weed, those weed beds and just destroy big pike and fly back to the lodge. <laughs> wow. How big were the pike we you were having? Do. You were fishing plugs and spinners then, I guess, for them, were they? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah a lot. We we fly fish a lot for them there, but uh, when we're on a recon mission like that, we want to cover a lot of water, so we're casting yeah. spoons, big spoons and uh, bucktails mostly. And we did. Um, they were, you know, we were catching them in that twenty pound range there. What was the story with the bears? You said you got, you got um, some incidents. Yeah, this is part of. We did a. You can see it on the uh, on the podcast for sure. The wild fish, wild places. Uh, and I think it's I think it's bear bear charge in Alaska is what I named it. But yeah, we we flew into this. You know, in, in Alaska, we that's part of the deal. We fly into a remote area, get dropped off by the float plane. He says, 
he makes a loop over it in the air and says, you need to walk along here and drop off into this hole and that's the river and I'll pick you up in 10 hours. Okay. Wow. So it got bear spray on us and, you know, I don't have a gun, but I should. And yeah, we got charged. This, there was like a, you know, like a teenager bear, male bear, uh, charging us. And he got to about 10 feet, 12 feet charging, coming at us. And I sprayed the bear spray and, what happened was uh, I got Drew in the face and myself in the face, and you know the bear, the bear stopped. Yeah, missed the bear. <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty funny story hindsight, but yeah, it's a fog. If you've ever sprayed bear spray, which most people haven't, no. uh, it's a fog. And I mean, I would if I was going to make bear spray, it'd be like wasp spray. It would spray twenty or thirty feet out there in a stream, you know, like a <laughs> rocket. This shit. Shit was a fog. I was like, what is this crap? You know, just this big fog came back in our faces and we were oh, screaming. Oh, it was, was it a black bear, painful. was it? No, it was a grizzly, yeah. A grizzly? grizzly bears. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was scary at the time. Funny story, hindsight. You know, we were full of bear spray and coughing and dying. And we hit the bear with a couple rocks and we got a couple, you know, ended up getting like 20 yards of separation and backing off and he backed off and they end up going and killing that bear later, I think, because it actually charged a handful of other fishermen that year yeah. and was dangerous. And they, I think they actually ended up putting that bear down. I don't know for sure, but I think they did. And my friend Drew that I sprayed that was co-hosting for a while, he went back this year and the float plane pilot said, okay, so up here, the, you know, a couple years ago, there was a bit a big, you know, grizzly bear that charged the camera crew <laughs> He said, yeah, that was me. <laughs> he goes, what? <laughs> he said, he goes, yeah, that was us. He's like, oh, man. Well, the same, uh, the year before that, we actually got left out in the bush. They couldn't pick us up because the weather was so bad. We got left and had to stay in this old cabin for the night until they could pick us up the next day. Well, he was telling them, oh, telling them the same story, you know, the next day. There's a few years ago, there's a camera crew that got left out here overnight. And he said, yeah, that was me. <laughs> what? That was you, too? Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was me, too. <laughs> We've had some pretty wild adventures in our 12 years. I was supposed to be going on um, a float plane to Sweden. It was northern Sweden, it was. So we had the plane to go there, and then we had a car, and we drove for four hours. And then we got to this one spot, and he had to take us then up into the mountains. But he said, oh, there was an issue with the float plane, so we'll have to take you by helicopter. So anyway, uh, he took us by helicopter, which was great. And uh, I've done yeah. it a few times. And as we were going over the lake, I could see there was a a big bank where the trees were all burnt. And I said, what happened there then? The, the floor plane crashed last week. Oh, so we didn't no. tell us this until we were in the air with the helicopter, you know? Oh, oh my God. Were they okay? Or? Um, I think they were okay. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, it made me feel a little bit uneasy then, to be honest. Yeah, it do, it'll do that to you, huh? We were on this island then uh, three days and it wasn't a case of, you know, if anything's wrong, we'll come and get you. It was three days and that's it. If you broke your leg after the first day, you'd have to stay there. Oh and uh, it was really remote. The, the guy we was with, his name was Per Erickson, and he was like six foot four. If ever you come across a bear, you'd want to be with him, you know. <laughs> yep. he, he makes like Grizzly Adams look like an office boy. This was the real McCoy. But it was quite, <laughs> quite an experience. But he was saying at the time, the only bears which in the, in Sweden you've got to worry about are these black bears. 
and they're not yeah. they're not all that big by the sounds of it but you know obviously they they could kill you yeah the where i go in canada the black bears are the most dangerous you know they're way more dangerous statistically black bears are more dangerous than the grizzlies but grizzlies catch more fish i guess you're right up there the brown you know they're just so you know we just got done floating a river for five days up in alaska and you know that's we're 10 20 yards from bears you know off and on all day and they just they don't care they've just eaten salmon and they kind of move out of your way and once in a while you know they'll challenge you there'll be some younger males that'll stomp at you and challenge you but for the most part it's not a big deal yeah so have you got any adventures lined up for next year not really everybody's just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen just like you and i were talking you know i'm supposed to we're supposed to go to argentina again and go golden dorado fishing and duck hunting and um you know canada lake trout pike and alaska and um, another place in canada british columbia which is canada as well but different you know but everybody's just on hold so yeah big adventures are you know in the back of our heads just a dream at the moment then just a dream, yeah. Hopefully yeah. you'll be getting out here to come fish with me. Well, I'm on the case. I'll have to start making some inquiry to see what's involved. Yeah, we need to do that. So here's here's what we need to do when things uh, clear up so we can travel. We need to put this together. And you need to come here and fish Pyramid Lake with me. We'll come come here for a week, and then I'll go to Corb with you, and we'll work on that for a week, and and uh, we'll be able to put some podcasts and some Absolutely. Show together and do the whole deal. So I thoroughly enjoyed chatting, Dennis. Listen to your stories. I can't wait to check out and listen to more on your podcast. But before we wrap up, I have one more question to ask you: Is where would you want to be if you had the last hour to make your last cast? Yeah, I think uh, I think that would have to be Pyramid Lake. I, you know, my a lot of thought goes into this where it would, you know, your first cast, what was your first cast ever? But it would you want that to be your last cast where it started? And I think for me, Pyramid Lake has so many good memories for me. And so and it's been such a great location for me in so many ways through business, um, through friendships, my wife, I, you know, I was able to put my wife on a bunch of big fish. And I think she fell in love with me that day. I, I like to think that anyway. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> there's so many, you know, great quality memories that come from Pyramid yeah. Lake for me. I, I think that would be my place. Well, thanks for your yeah, time again, too, Dennis. Man. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Like you said, the next best thing to fishing is talking about it. So hopefully, <laughs> all your listeners out there enjoyed talking to the old, the, the Western fishermen and, and listening to us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, th- thank you very much. Thanks, guys, for thanks. listening. Appreciate you. Take care and hope to see you soon. If this is your first time tuning in, make sure you catch all future episodes by clicking subscribe via the links on my website, castingwithkerryjones.com, or via iTunes or your favourite podcatcher. If you like what you've heard on this episode, feel free to drop me a line via my website. Tell me what you've enjoyed, ask a question, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear more of in the future. And if you're looking for additional tips, tackle reviews or venue information, or just want to see what's been hitting the back of my net lately, search up Casting with Kerry Jones on Facebook or follow me on Instagram. And if you still want more, I'm regularly uploading video content onto the Casting with Kerry Jones YouTube channel, so just check that out and subscribe over there too. Wherever you follow, subscribe, comment or message, 
I look forward to catching up soon for a good fishing chat. Well, I think that's all for now. So until next time, tight lines and don't strike too soon.